Uh, before I get started, I, I just want to personally say this. Um, it, it's been, gosh, a decade plus since I've spent a week long at camp. And so uh, just like you guys, you're just kind of wondering like, hey, what's it going to be like? You know, what's the dynamic going to be like? And then you're bringing along your son and all that kind of stuff. So here, here's what I want to just say, and this is for me personally. Thank you so much for being so kind to me, so kind to my son. Uh, I love you guys. But uh, yeah. Super, super, super grateful, and we've had the time of our lives, and you all have been super hospitable. So just on, on that front, thank you. And to be honest, I was kind of thinking like, man, this is cool. It's like I'm super loved. Um, what does that say? We like, we like, like Greg McAvoy. There you go. Well, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. That's my first sign. So uh, you've seen the moment. I've arrived. Um, I got bad eyes, so uh, I appreciate it. Sorry, you probably should have sat front row and I could have read it perfectly. Uh, but uh, one, one of the things that uh, I, I will tell you that's, that's funny is like you're sitting there going, man, I'm so, I'm so, you know, it's been good. I've been welcomed, all that kind of stuff. And then I had a couple moments today where I was really starting to second guess, like, do they, are, are they really for me? Or is there like a little kind of under under their table kind of plan. So uh, I'll, I'll just tell you this, I went and played paintball with a group, right? Where are they? Yep. They let us play paintball uh, with them and um, I got out. Uh, and so I raised my hands like you're supposed to, said I'm out. And man, as I'm walking across my own business, Man, I took, I took a couple to the chest and one to the stump because they were just unloading on me. And I was like, my gracious. I, I was like, I was like, I, I, they were like, oh, we're so glad you played. I'm like, are you? Because you just, you just took a bunch of cheap shots at me. And then I was in line at the coffee shop and a leader walks up to me, Hannah, my girl, Hannah. And she goes, oh, by the way, my girls killed you in the dorm this morning. And I was like, um, excuse me? And then she pulls out a picture and there is a body on the ground and some bleed, like a bleeding heart. And I was like, here's my thought. Giggle, giggle, giggle. Um, I, I was like, man, I was like, man, uh, man, this, this, is, uh, this is crazy. I was like, man, everyone's so nice to my face, but they're all secretly trying to kill me. So uh, super, super, but hey, I, it, it's been a great time. And, and, you know, being here at camp, I just reminded why I love middle school camp, especially. Um, girls, yeah, I've, I've kind of talked to you and all this. Can I, girls, can I let you in on a secret? Guys, I'm getting ready to break bro code, but it's cool. We're, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I gotta do it, I'm gonna do it. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Girls, girls, I have to tell you a secret. If you noticed that guys, we, I'll, I'll, I'm in the same boat. We can be kind of obnoxious with, wait, whoa, 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 fellas, 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 fellas. I, I gotta, I gotta, and, 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 you know, it's, it's like we're always trying to impress people with the way we talk. And, and there, there's one thing that exists in middle school camp um, that's just so obvious. I call it the one-upper. You know, the one-upper, you know what I'm talking about? Someone shares a story um, and, and it's like, hey, I shot three people in paintball. And then someone's like, oh, well, that's cool because I shot four. And then another guy's like, I shot five. I took five people out. But then you look at the crowd in the paintball and no one's been shot. 
And you're like, wait, what story are you telling? I did, and, and ladies, let me just tell you, it, we're just hardwired this way. And, and do you know what this is actually called when we one-up people? It's called peacocking. Did you know that? It's called peacocking. And do you, know, do you all know what a peacock is? Do you know the animal, the peacock? It's the blue bird with all the feathers, right? And do you know why the blue bird has the feathers? They don't walk around with their feathers out. Did you know this? They walk around with their feathers trailing behind them. They do it to impress the ladies. And so here's what's happening. Here's what's happening. Right, girls, I'm going to tell you a secret. I don't, I don't care who you are. If you're, if you're a Famali and you show up at any sort of competition that the guys are, are having in secret, all of a sudden, all the feathers just start coming out and showing, right? You know what I'm talking about? They're trying to look cool. They're trying to look impressive. And, and so, girls, here's the line. Here's the line I want you to use. If you see this, if you see this, just walk up to a guy and go like, hey, your feathers are showing, all right? Yeah, your, your feathers are showing, your feathers are showing. But, but guys, guys, let's be honest. We, we don't even need the ladies. Do you know the peacocks also show their feathers as a sign of intimidation and dominance in the arena? And so that's why we're one up in each other to go like, hey, um, I'm the king of this castle. I'm the, I, am the, I am the count of this court. I am the man, right? And, and so we do that by one-upping people. And, and I got this guy in my life, and he's, he, he's the worst one-upper, and it drives me nuts. Like, he just, we got those people. You, you just thought of someone, and you're like, oh, yeah. Um, I got those people in my life. And so my favorite thing to say to him whenever he's like, we say something, or I watch my kids say something, and he'll be like, oh, yeah? Well, I can run 10 miles. And then what, what do you say? Do it. Do it. Wait, who said that? Do it. That's right. Prove it. Prove it, right? Hey, hey, you, you say that, back it up. And all of a sudden, he's like, oh, my ankle. And my ankle's been hurting. Like, or, I would, but I got Crocs on. Like, you can't run in Crocs. Or, oh, man, I had a hard practice and all this. And here's what happens. Here's what happens. Here's what happens. You kind of write it off if they can't prove it. Isn't that right? No. Oh, you just believe him? No. Huh? That, right. Okay, let me, let me rephrase this in a way. I might, I might have missed with my wording. You believe they're lying if they can't prove it, right? Yeah. Yes. You just kind of like, man, if you can't go out and do it, your mouth shouldn't talk about it, right? Yeah. yeah. And so, and so that's, kind of the, that's kind of the idea. Remember the, the rules we talked about night one, right? We said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We are going to show up. Everyone's here. Check. We're going to be open to being wrong. We're going to be open to thinking new thoughts. The last two days, I've heard from your leaders that you all are having amazing discussions, that you all are asking questions. Keep going. Keep going going, keep going, keep going. It's a long journey, but you got this. Keep pressing into the topic. Keep asking questions. And the last, the last two sessions have been setups for the next part, part three, the third rule, investigate the human of Jesus. We already, we already said, look, Jesus has been talked about in history books as well as the Bible. And so Jesus Christ walked the earth. The question is, his mouth wrote a lot of checks, but can his body follow through and cash them? 
And so this is that moment where Jesus has said a lot of things and created a lot of controversy and made a lot of stirrings. And we're going to look at him just like every person who kind of brags or one-ups and we go, all right, bro, prove it. And so that's what we're going to do this time. We're going to investigate the ministry, the message, the miracles of Jesus Christ. Now, are you ready to go on this journey with me? Boy, did you, all, did you all fall asleep? Thank you. Thank you. So here's the thing. We're going to look at three stories. We're going to look at three stories. And I'm going to pull out why that story exists and what that story means for me and for you. They're not just cute stories. They're not just moments that we can look at and go like, oh, how cool is Jesus? They're moments that happen that mean something deeper something fuller. Have you ever asked yourself, why did Jesus do miracles? Ever wondered that? He wanted to help? Interesting. Can I ask you a question? If he wanted to help, why didn't he heal everybody? So, 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 let me, let me ask you this question. Could it be that when Jesus did something it meant something more than what met the eye. And I would say because he did it strategically and specifically, he was communicating something of greater depth. And so with that, let's jump into the stories. John 5. And this is why Jesus did it right here. I'll tell you, this is where I got it from. If I were to testify, this is Jesus talking on my own behalf my testimony would not be valid. What Jesus is saying here is if I were to tell you just how great I am and no one else kind of validated it, it wouldn't be valid. Like if I was just running my mouth and no one kind of backed it up, it wouldn't mean so much. And so then he says this, but someone else also is testifying about me and I assure you everything he says is true. Now, what he's saying is this, if you walk up to me and go, I'm the greatest basketball player in this camp, it doesn't mean really anything. But if you walk up and some of your boys walk up or some of the people that watched you play and they go, he's the greatest basketball player in this camp. All of a sudden that statement carries so much more weight. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's saying like, look, other people are talking about me. In fact, you sent investigators, we talked about this yesterday, to listen to John the Baptist to see and his testimony about me was true. Of course, I don't need you. I don't need human witnesses. Again, that's that Jesus swagger we talked about. He's like, I don't need you guys to do what I'm going to do. I'm going to do me, and I'm going to rock and roll, and I don't need you, but I say all these things so that you might be saved. John was like a burning lamp, and you were excited for a while about his message. Here it is, here it is, here it is. This tells you why Jesus did and said what he wanted to say. But I have greater witnesses than John. I don't need some human to tell how great I am. I got better stuff in store for you. And do you know what that is? My teachings and my miracles. Because the Father gave these works to accomplish and they pre prove that he sent me. And so it wasn't just to fix people's human lives. It was to send a message, to validate his claims, to say, look, I, if I could say I'm the son of God, I can say I'm the Messiah, I can say I'm the sinner, but I'm not just gonna talk about it. I'm gonna back it up by conquering the elements of the earth. And he beat every element, illness, 
sickness, defects. He conquered all those things to tell you and I a bigger story. And so the first one I want to look at is an interaction. This is a teaching he had. This is an interaction with a woman. Eventually, Jesus, he's traveling around from town to town. So eventually, he came to a Samaritan village of Sychar, near the fields that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus uh, was tired from the long walk. He sat uh, wearily beside the well about noontime. Now, John puts the time of day in here because that communicates something. It tells us a story. It tells us a deeper part of the story. They're in the middle of the desert. It's hot as blue blazes or whatever you all call it up here in the north. It is just hot. It is like armpit sweaty hot in the desert. And Jesus is tired of walking. So he sits down at noontime. And then a Samaritan woman came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. He was alone at the time because the disciples had gone to the village to buy some food. And she said she was shocked for Jews, John's given us context, refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Here's some context that, or here's some kind of circumstances that you guys need to understand about what's happening in this story. Jesus is at a well in the middle of the day. The sun is beating down on him. No one else is there. Do you know why? Because everyone else in the town, thank you, uh, because everyone else in the town went in the morning before it got too hot. And so there was one woman there, and the only reason she was there is she was an outcast of society. She wanted to be alone because she didn't want the shameful stares. She didn't want the guilt-ridden looks. She didn't want the people whispering behind her back. There she is. Can you believe? Do you know what she did? And she came at the time of day that no one else would be there so she could be alone. And here's a Jewish man sitting with a Samaritan woman. And it would be the equivalent of an Atlanta fan talking to a New England fan during the Super Bowl where y'all came back 38 to 3 and it broke my heart. (laughs) Broke my heart. Actually... I'm, I'm still bitter. I'm still, let's not talk about it or this thing's going to go sideways real quick. But there is, they're like, why are you talking to me? The other piece that you need to know, I'm going to say this, women were viewed as property. They did not have value in society. They were not viewed as something of worth. They were just along for the ride. Now, I'm not saying that's how the Bible wanted it to be. I'm just saying that's how it was in this context. And so you had two people, two cultures that did not talk to each other and a man and a woman addressing one another and a woman who was so ashamed of her life that she shows up to the well. And Jesus goes, would you give me a drink? Keep reading. Jesus replied, or she said, and she goes, why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you, And who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I will give you living water. She goes, why why, why are you talking to me, sir? What do you want? Why are you messing with me? And he goes, "If if you knew who I was, if you knew how big of a deal I was, you wouldn't go like, you wouldn't be thinking about lowering your bucket. You would go, hey, man, can you offer me more than what I got going on in life right now? 
And he said, I'll give you living water. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. And so she looks at him. She's like, so you don't have a rope or a bucket and the well is deep. Where would you get this water? And besides, this is a great line. Do you think you're better than our great ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer something better than he can? She is saying, look, do you think, man that's claiming to be something great, that you can give me something better than what this world already has to offer? The well I can see, the great man who put the well there, can you give me something better? Who do you think you are? You don't even have a rope and a bucket. You're a fool. You're crazy. And then Jesus looks at her. And he says, would you do me a favor? Would you run back to the village and bring your husband to me? And confused, she looked at him. She goes, sir, I don't have a husband. He said, you're right, you don't. In fact, you've had five husbands and you're shacking up with some dude now that's not even a guy that you're married to. And she is stunned because Jesus just read her mail. That's why she's an outcast. That's why she's ashamed. That's why she's there at noontime. And once Jesus does this little miracle, she goes, you must be a prophet. You, you must be someone of significance. And she said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one called Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything. She goes, sir, you, you kind of wigged me out with this power, this miracle. And I know someone's coming. I know a Christ or a Messiah is coming. And when he does, he'll tell me everything. And Jesus goes, I'm the Messiah. I'm the dude. I'm the man. And he uses a way to tell her story to her to validate he is who he says he is to her. And when the disciples came back, if you want to know the context of the story, when the disciples came back, they were shocked to find him talking to a woman. But none of them even had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? And why are you talking to her? Here's the lesson from the first interaction Jesus had in this section. Jesus offered a woman with a past, with baggage, a woman that the world had no use for, a, world that was, a woman that was outcast from her own society. And Jesus goes, I see you, you have value, and I will give you what I have to offer. So lesson one is this. Jesus came to give the same gift to all. Now, girls, I'm going to say this. Um, you, the one thing I want you to catch, and, and you may not, not know this, but the women's liberation movement is such a great thing to give you equality. Do you know who started that? Jesus. Because he saw you as equal and same in humanity. And he goes, look, I don't care whether you're a guy or you're a girl. You have value because you were created by my father. The man, the first man who was pro-women was Jesus. In fact, it's his principles and his teachings that have kind of shaped the way that culture is now drifting. And Jesus looked at someone who had zero value in that day, zero worth, did not earn 
anything of dignity or some great offering. He goes, I have something for you. And he offers it to not only her, but to all. The second is one of my favorite stories. Afterward, after this story, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city near a sheep gate was a pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men had been lying there for 38 years. And when Jesus saw, uh, saw him and knew how, uh, sorry, he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? So let me set the context of this. There's a place in the old times called the Pool of Bethesda. And lame people, sick people, hurting people would all gather there. And it was said to when the waters would stir up, the first one in the water would find healing and cleansing. And so they're all trying to get in this water to find how is it I can be made whole. So Jesus is in the masses of lame people and sick people and hurting people, and he walks through them. Hey, excuse me, pardon me, excuse me, pardon me. Hey, can you move that leg? Oh, you can't? Okay, I'll step over it. Excuse me, pardon me, excuse me. And then all of a sudden he walks this guy. He goes, hey, bro, um, you've been here for a while. Do you want to get better or you just want to chill here? What do you want to do? Here's what he responds. I can't, sir, for I have no one to put me in the pool when the water Bubbles. Someone else always gets in ahead of me. It's like, sir, I'm trying to fix me. I'm trying to get my junk together. I don't have any help. And someone seems to always get the lucky draw. And then Jesus looks at him. He says, stand up. Pick up your mat and walk. And instantly the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. Can you imagine? I want you to think about this. Hundreds of lame people laying in a pool, right? Jesus walks over 90% of them and goes, hey, bro, do you want to get better? Yeah, great. Stand up, walk. They knew who he was. They knew how, how long he'd been there. They knew how messed up he was. And then he's like, hey, excuse me, pardon me, excuse me. Hey, the guy just healed. Watch out for him too. He's coming. So come on, come on, excuse me, pardon me. And it, the tension that had to rise because people saw, Jesus, you could have done that for everyone. Why him? Right? And here's the, here's the best part. So the Jewish leaders, you remember I told you yesterday there's going to be tension between the Jewish leaders, like the temple leaders and Jesus. The Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, you, 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 you can't carry your mat on the Sabbath. You can't work on the Sabbath. They were the rule keepers. They had all these rules, and I'll tell you about those in a second. The law does not allow you to carry your sleeping mat. But he replies, this is great. Uh, guys, no disrespect at all. No disrespect. Um, the guy who healed me, he said I could. He said I, I could carry my mat and just walk out of here. And they go, no, 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 no. That is not, that is not okay with God. That is not okay with, your, uh, with Jehovah. Uh, you know, that is not, you can't do that. And here, here's what they're, and if you, if you think you got a lot of rules. Did you know the Jewish culture had 613 unique rules that they had to follow to be okay with God. 613. 613. There's actually on Sabbath 39 categories of work 
that you could not do on the Sabbath day. So if the Sabbath, the sun goes down and you're in the project, you got like 10 more minutes, it would be wrong in their eyes to go like, I'm just going to work 10 minutes into dark. They're like, how dare you defile yourself before God? In fact, people in the Jewish culture would put a rock about a three quarters of a mile outside their house because anything outside of that was considered work. So they'd just be able to walk inside this circle going like, Sabbath, I can't go past that, so I'll just go back home. And so they're like, sir, you can't carry a thing on Sabbath. And he goes, but, 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 but there was a man, and then he had enough power that I could carry my mat out of here and walk. And he's confused. Like, this guy claims to be the Messiah, and you guys are telling us about God, and they don't seem to line up. He's like, who would tell you to do such a thing? And he points Jesus out. He's like, that dude over there. That dude. He told me. So I just listened because you know why? None of you walked in here and told me to pick up my mat. I just went with him. Lesson two. Jesus establishes a new way to God. It's through him not by following the rules. Jesus is carving a new path. Lesson three. After this, so all these stories are just stacking on each other. And again, John's not telling you minute by minute. He's telling you big, important details in the story. After this, Jesus crossed over the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the uh, Sea of Tiberias. And a huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. So here's the crazy scene. All these people are following Jesus like he's a traveling magic show. Have you ever watched Chris Angel? No? Who's a popular magician? Are there popular magicians anymore? Kevin Hart is not a magician. Go back to sleep. I'll tell you when it's over. Ryan Reynolds is not a magician. Yes, who? Houdini. He, sure, we'll use Houdini. So they're falling around Jesus like he's Harry Houdini. We're doing magic shows at like the local stops. And they're like, man, this Houdini cat, he's awesome. And he's giving out free food. And so we got to hang with him. And so he's in a crowd. And Jesus saw the crowd of people. And he's turning to Philip, one of his friends. And he goes, where can we buy bread for these people? They look hungry. We've been doing this for a while. They've been following me for a while. Where do we get bread for these people? And Philip goes, uh, I don't know. I do not know. And one of his disciples goes, hey, I just found a kid. He's got five loaves, two bread, or five loaves of bread and two fish. Maybe we can use that. He goes, bring them here. And he breaks the loaves and he cuts up the fish and he dishes out them in the basket. And he starts handing out the fish. Feeds 5,000 people off the loaves bread. And do you know what the people are like? Hey, we want some more, man. Can we come for a dinner? Like that was a great lunch. We need dinner. And Jesus says this to him. I'll tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. Again, they meant something. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For the Father has given me the seal of approval. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will not be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will not be thirsty. Let me tell you what Jesus is saying. 
in this culture, it's different than ours. They did not know where their next meal was coming from. You don't know when you're having your next meal at camp because you don't get to control when you eat. These people could not figure out how to make ends meet to feed themselves on a regular basis. And so do you know, once they saw this food dispenser and they're like, oh my gosh, it's a vending machine. It just keeps giving out free food. And we're just going to follow the food vending machine because it takes care of our problems. And so Jesus uses the picture in the first story, living water. It's what the woman was looking for. He uses the picture, bread and food in the second story using those earthly things to tell this heavenly message. And it's this, Jesus came to fulfill our deepest needs. So, the three things we take away. Jesus came to give the same thing to everybody. Jesus came to create a new way to God. And Jesus came to satisfy your and my greatest need. That's what his teachings and his miracles told everybody. Now, so what do you do with that, right? Where do you go from here? How do you handle it? What does it even mean? Here's the part I want you to think about. Jesus started pressing in to his claims with actions. Jesus made some huge, massive claims, but then he provided the actions to back him up. And this is where the investigation of Jesus starts for you with your leaders. Is you've got to figure out, we know Jesus was here. So you've got to figure out one of these three answers. Is he lying? Is he making it all up? Is he crazy? Like, is he just the crazy old man at the corner that says dumb things, does some magic tricks, pulls out some flowers from his, his hat, and he's like, here, pretty beautiful lady? Or is he the truth, like he claims to be? So, I, I want to be fair, because I think I, you all are smart way smarter than I ever was in middle school. The question you have to ask yourself, and I would ask myself, is Greg, that's great. That's in the Bible, right? Of course it says nice things about Jesus. It's like his book. You know, if I was writing an autobiography or having something written about my life, you know what I would do? I'd make it sound really good about me. How do I know that these stories are true? Do you even know? Could you prove to us beyond a shadow of a doubt all three of these things happened? I can't. The reason I believe them is because I investigated. And I believe Jesus is who he says he is. And so I take these stories at their word. But I didn't ask you to just take these stories at their word. I asked you to investigate, didn't I? So I do want to point one thing out to you. There is a historian or a historical collection of writings. So where, where's my man that said you knew that you were Abraham Lincoln was the president because of history? Where is, where's my man at? Where's my cat at? 
No one, oh, he fell, he didn't show up. He broke rule one. Well, that's no good. But, but there was a guy who said, we know Abraham Lincoln was our president because history taught us that, the writings. My man, there you are. Okay, there you are. Uh, you're not in trouble. I was actually using it as a launch pad, but uh, you took too much time. Now you, now you just slowed me down. Um, I'm just, uh, but, but so you said, uh, the only reason I buy it is because it's in history. There's a historical document known as the Babylonian Talmud. How many have heard of the Babylonian Empire in social studies class? So we know, you know from history, the Babylonian Empire existed, don't you? Yes, you're with me? So there's a documentation called the Babylonian Talmud, which is a writing of historical documents that are preserved all these years. And there is a writing, a segment in the Babylonian Talmud that says this, on the eve of Passover, Yeshua, which is another name for Jesus, which Passover was Thursday, and then there was Good Friday where Jesus was killed. Yeshua was hanged, hung from a cross. For 40 days before the execution took place, a herald had cried, he is going forth to be stoned because he has practiced, catch this, sorcery and apostasy are in, enticed Israel to apostasy. So they said, there is this man named Jesus who was killed. And do you know why he was killed? He practiced sorcery. Do you know what you're going to say about a man who does miracles that you don't believe is the son of God? My man. My man. Do you know what apostasy is? Where you teach ideas that are different than the norms that already exist. You can't work on the Sabbath, Jesus did. Women have no value, Jesus said, no, you do. And he said, that's open to everybody. And so a historical writer that had no buy-in to making the Jesus story take off said, look, there's a dude, he was crucified, named Yeshua, same name, that's just Jesus in Hebrew, do you know why they killed him? He was doing witchcraft and telling people messages that are against the rules. And so can I look to you at 100% certainty and go like, all these stories happen factually? I cannot. I buy them because I buy Jesus. But here's what I will tell you. There was a historical writing back in the day going, there was a dude doing miracles and teaching junk that was not smiled upon. And that's why he was killed. So, history teaches us. A man named Jesus. If you want to say there was another Jesus in the world doing it, that's fine. You can. Doesn't seem probable, but you can say that. At the same time period that the Jesus we're reading about in Scripture was alive, was doing miracles, and teaching things counter to what the Israelites have been told all their life. So here's what you got to do. You've got to decide what you think about it all. Because Jesus came for all. He created a new way to God. And he exists to fulfill your deepest needs. 
So is he crazy? Is he lying? Is he the truth? Now, you might be wondering, well, Greg, what's my deepest need? We're going to talk about that tomorrow morning. And so with that, I'll pray, and we will go throw down at the Hume Show.